Yellow vote up to pie. I sure as heck do. And there are the apples. And that's the make. Mm -hmm. All right. You know what? I like apple pie, too. I'm going to turn these two lovely apples. <gasps> You're going to get a trophy. And I'm going to go, pop, pop. Ooh, okay. Halfway Achievement. I like it. Boom. Halfway that to Smells victory. good over there. Mm -mm -mm. I smell yeah. apple pie. This dude loves to gamble. Welcome to Which Game First, where we boldly explore the hilariously huge world of board games. Did we unearth any hidden treasures you've been missing out on? Let's find out. First up, it's Bargain or Bust in the bustling Palazzo at Turin Market. Next, we're up to anthropomorphic antics as our fuzzy heroes try to win the Harvest Festival in My Little Scythe. And lastly, we race against our global counterparts in a game of deception and misdirection in Spy Alley. I'm your host, Celeste DeAngelis. Now let's meet the rest of our brave and intrepid panel. I'm Evan Bernstein. Let's spin the wheel. I'm Ed Povlaitis, but don't get stuck on the wheel. I'm Joe Unfree, and it's time to start wheeling and dealing. I'm Mike Rainier. Is this wheel life? Is this just fantasy? Caught in a landslide, no escape from reality. Hi, everyone. We hope you had fun during International Tabletop Day this past June 1st. I went to the Tabletop Gaming Center in Newington, Connecticut. Jason from Spaceship Games was there showing off the prototype for Dungeon Drop, which should be on Kickstarter right now. Very cool, Ed. And be sure to check out our Instagram page for all the great games we picked up at our friendly local gaming store. And thanks for listening. Our first game up this week is Turin Market, designed by Jordan Draper, published by Jordan Draper Games in 2016. Number of players, 2 to 5, ages 14 and up. Playtime, 20 to 30 minutes. When we bargained for this one, what were our first thoughts? Mike? Well, we've played so many epic games, it might be relaxing to lower the stakes a little bit. <laughs> Evan? There's fresh produce and fish and eggs on the cards. It's making me kind of hungry to play. Ed? Ignore that stall over there. Evan Fish is from yesterday. My stall is where you can find the freshest food in town. Joe? Get your fresh tender squid here, straight out of the Adriatic. <laughs> <laughs> they had me at Goose Meeple that lets you make up your own rules. But before we start yelling prices, oh, too late for that. Evan, tell us how it's played. Turin Market is a set collection and auction game. On the cards are various goods, such as oranges, olives, and fish. Yum. Each round, all players will put out one card to auction. All players will participate in a silent auction using their supply of game money called a scudo. You have to pronounce <laughs> it with scudo. the Italian. A scudo. The highest bidder will receive the most cards and so on down the chain. All players who received any cards pay their bid to the bank, and anyone who did not receive a card, the lowest bidders, will pay half of their bid rounded down. Players can also put a card they have won up for sale by using their own scudo as collateral for the sale price. There are five auction rounds, after which is a payout. Players with the most of each type of good are paid an amount from the bank, as well as one scudo from each other player with any of that good. Once payout is complete, everyone pays back any bank loans, and the game is over. The player with the most scudo is declared the winner. Arrivederci! <laughs> <laughs> Actually, only the winner has to pay the full amount they bid. Everybody else pays half. 
Oh, everybody else pays uh-huh. half. It's not super grim loser where you kick the guy who's down. That's nice. Mike, you like the grim loser convention in these auctions? Oh, it's it's my least favorite thing in a game. It's just like you're already losing. I thought going backwards was your least favorite thing in the game. <laughs> no, grim loser's worse. <laughs> it, it's pretty brutal, but it, it can be fun in the right situation. And there are some slight rules variations. One rule variation is everyone keeps a secret card that they add to their final tally. So that's kind of cool. You can't know exactly what everyone has. So you, so you can't do the math down to a T. And of course, my favorite variant, which was the goose meeple. <gasps> oh my gosh. Oh yeah, the goose meeple. It actually looks like a goose. Mm-hmm. It does. It's a wooden <laughs> little wooden token wooden goose. <laughs> what does it do? The goose meeple allows you to make up your own rule. Yeah, it does whatever we say it does. What? Yep. The bartering goose. The bartering goose is a special token that can be used in any way the group sees fit. <laughs> it's up to you to come up with the rules for the goose. goose. Should you choose to play with it? You can make any rule you want with the goose. Where's the goose? Here's the goose. All right, I bid three. I bid three. I bid five. Give me that goose. (laughs) 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 My mind is blown. They do give some examples here. Oh, okay. Let me hear an example, yeah. When players tie, one of them can speak up and take the goose. They lose the bid in the tie. Later, when that player is in another tie, they may give up the goose and win the tie. So our rule that we mm-hmm. made up was the goose is worth 3.5 Scudo. <laughs> <laughs> so that it would break any tie. So you just have everybody just has to agree on what the rule is and then the goose could change hands. So you got to so you got to be careful what rule you make. You don't want to make a super awesome rule and then have it end up in somebody else's hands. Yes. And uh, well, <laughs> our rule was also that you had to use the goose. If you had it, you had to put it in the bit. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can't hoard the goose. The loser gets the goose. So if you don't use it, you lose it. I love that. Any rule that you agree on. Yeah, that, that actually was a pretty good rule we came up with. It was it was delightful. It actually served as a tiebreaker in one particular round. Joe and yeah, I tied, but he had the goose, so he, he beat He me. let the goose loose. Yeah, the total then were six, six and a half with the goose. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so you could actually make meta rules for the goose like if you get the goose you have to go get everybody a drink or something like you put whatever sure, rule sure you want. why not uh, oh, mike yeah. there's no limitation it, it, it literally said make up any rule you want or shoot not to play with it the goose of limitless power <laughs> i must have it <laughs> i am now gonna take that goose to every game i play <laughs> as the alternate rule goose oh my god that's such a good idea why haven't we come across a game before that had this kind of convention i have ne- i'd never seen this before in all my game playing and I love how it's very thematically on point. You're in a market. A goose is a pretty spectacular device to use, right? Like Joe is like, I put my dancing goose out front or, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, oh, I don't have quite enough Scudo. Here, take this goose too. <laughs> Barter. I was wondering what Scudo was for a while. Apparently the Scudo was not the currency of Italy, but of the papal states until 1866 when the lira took over. Oh, Pope money. Yeah. And it actually means shield in Italian. And it was probably a lot stronger than than the lira for a long time. (laughs) Probably. Oh, yeah. It had the church backing it up. That's why. The look of the coins in this game is really nice. These are wooden coins. With laser engravings on them. Yeah. And the laser engraving looks like pyrography, right? It looks like it was burned into the wood. It's very pretty. That's a cool word, pyrography. Yeah. That just means burning designs into wood. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, but I'm never going to say burning designs into wood again after hearing the word pyrography. Researching this game, I came across a heavy cardboard 
video of Christmas suggestions that you know dealt with I think one one game for the, uh, every for each day in the month of December and uh, Turin Market was near the front, uh, so I'm watching that, and while they're going over the cards, uh, they mentioned that the handwriting on some of the cards is made to look like Jane Austen's. Yes, Joe, the art looked a lot like the botanical artists of the 17 and 1800s, you know, like Franz Bauer or something. Yeah, yeah. Very true to life, but uh, but also colorful in a sketch style. I really like how the coins have different sizes like you would find in Europe. That's right. The ones were smaller and uh, it went up to the tens, which were bigger coins. And I like that they had an influence of Roman numerals. They weren't in Roman numerals, but like the one looked like the Roman numeral one. And it's not like American coins where the nickel is bigger than the dime. (laughs) (laughs) So what did you guys think of the bidding mechanic? I love silent auction bids. It's one of my favorite conventions in all games that I play. I absolutely love bidding nothing, putting my fist out there closed, and then opening it for a nothing bid. (laughs) You've done that in a lot of bidding games, Celeste. (laughs) And I was worried about it here because they did warn against that. Because in the other silent bid games we've played so far, when you bid nothing, you could still get something. I find I change my bid almost every time. (laughs) I I, I put some coins in my hand. I hold my hand out there and then I go back under my little cover and then I go and change my amount and put it back out. I'm never confident with my first instinctual amount to put out there. Never. Oh, I was just going to ask you, was it a was it a psychological trick to other people? No, I guess it's a uh, uh, self-confidence issue. <laughs> right. It's my own brain playing games with myself. Yeah. It just has the ancillary benefit of messing with the rest of us too. Yeah, yeah. it does. <laughs> well, now that we know your secret though, the jig is up. It's not really a secret, but okay. <laughs> I mean, merchants are not going to have a lot of patience for other merchants who try to play psychological games like that. <laughs> you know, I I think all bargaining is a psychological game. Sure. And if you don't got enough money, I'll give you a loan. 50% interest. Oh, for you. Oh, the yeah. oh my gosh, a 50% interest <laughs> loan? Whoa. That's wow. <laughs> Steep. The loans were awesome. Brutal. You, you would borrow 10 and have to pay back 15. <laughs> and the loans are all at the end of the game. So basically, you take out the loan immediately during the payout if you can't afford the payout. And then you got to pay it back at the end of the payout. So it's like, oh. yeah, <laughs> sure, I'll lend you 10. Don't even worry about it. And then an hour later, they're like, you got my money? <laughs> you just You're just looking at a pile of your own negative victory points throughout the game. Well, you can only have one loan, so there's that. I can only have one, okay. And I actually took out the loan, and I still won the game. Yes, you did. Even though I had to pay back 150%. Yeah, don't know how, but you did. They got a good amount of game in this small box. 18 commodity cards, 5 loan, 4 goods cards, and your Scudo. Oh, you had a little good shit sort of really cool, too. And, of course, the goose. For each good that you can acquire, there is a token, a wooden token representing that. And you put it out in front of the players who have the most at any given point during the course of the game. So you can say, all right, so Celeste is going for fish because she has the fish token in front of her. Maybe I should either steer away from fish or try to get a lead on fish and take the token from Celeste. Sexy potatoes. Right. So what are we trying to do? Sexy potatoes. I mean, put a face down. (laughs) So much for sexy potatoes. If you don't have the monopoly on the good, you don't want to have any of it. Otherwise, you have to pay the person who has the monopoly at the end of the game. That's right. The tribute you got to give to the person if you don't have the most. 
do you do you think that discourages uh competition during the game like it gets people to segregate themselves more a little bit but it aff- it affected what we did yeah but you're gonna want the other cards anyway sometime because yeah i got fish on it and uh, evan got all the fish but it got the figs and i want to i want to monopolize figs so i'm gonna go for it oh so they have a mix of things on cards sometimes oh each card has three different goods oh and there's a card that's out there that tells you like for example fish have 15 there are 15 cards with fish on them oh it gives you the deck proportions right yeah not all goods are of equal value the avocado was it the avocados the figs, which were the most the figs were the most so yeah. i went for figs and that's where i cashed in but i couldn't really go for much else it was nice of jordan to give us the game when we met him at uh path east jordan said he was inspired to design this game based on the time he spent living in Turin in Italy. Cool. So he actually had a real-life experience to base it off of. Okay, explorers, get your shovels out. It's time to dig up or bury Turin Market. Ed? This market is cutthroat and every good old hard fought. Sounds like a nice place to visit. I'll dig it up. Joe? Hobbes would have loved this game. The philosopher, not the tiger. (laughs) Why? Because it's nasty, brutal, and short. Actually... I think they both would have liked it. It's fun. Dig it up. Evan? Auction games are usually a winner with me. This one is no different. And throw in the wild goose for fun. It's all good. Dig it up. Mike? I am so sad that I did not get to handle the goose. Oh, <laughs> you love the goose, Mike. I'm bringing it to um, the next game. Don't worry. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely want to try this one out, but I will abstain for now. This game is the perfect length for its mechanics and a perfect game for a Sunday morning listening to Vivaldi or Verde. I'm digging it up. This game was a first edition from a limited run, but I do understand there is a second printing coming out soon and you can get the first printing from secondary markets for about 15 bucks. If you have thoughts about Turin Market, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Our next game up this week is My Little Scythe, designed by Hobie Chu with his daughter Vienna Chu. Published by Stonemeyer Games in 2018, number players 1 to 6, ages 8 and up, playtime 45 minutes. Okay, when we unearthed this find, what were our first thoughts? Mike? Did they hit Scythe with a shrink ray and make all the mechs fluffy? Evan? Oh, I got that stupid My Little Pony song stuck in my head. <laughs> Ed? It's really cool that a father-daughter team designed a game of My Little Pony Me Scythe. Joe? If you've played the grown-up size, these rules should be awfully intuitive. The colorful cartoon animal friends on the box cover is cuteness overload. What? And there's matching miniatures inside the box? Let's get playing. But before we start, Evan, tell us how it's played. My Little Scythe is a competitive, family-friendly game in which each player controls two animal miniatures embarking upon an adventure in the Kingdom of Palm. Players take turns choosing one action, move, seek, or make. These will allow players to increase their friendship and pies, power up their actions, complete quests, learn magic spells, deliver gems and apples to the castle ever free, and perhaps even engage in a pie fight. The player who earns four trophies with the most friendship wins the game. Aww. Oh, that's adorable. It is cute. <laughs> uh, 
when I talked to Jamie Stegmeyer about this, it like I heard My Little Scythe, but I had no idea it was actually based on My Little Pony. Yeah, I guess the the original print and play version it was intended that you would have My Little Pony miniature playing on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, the art they did finally choose is very cute, and I love the colorful layout. The miniatures are just the right size for little kids. They're oversized minis um, with very emotive figures. And I think the perfect minis for a young person to start learning to paint with because there's not too much detail, just enough. Oh, they're unpainted minis that come with it? Yes, they are unpainted minis. But they include in a game a painting guide for how to paint your minis. Oh, that's cool. It is. I looked at them and I said we should be painting them. Did I not? I didn't even know that that was the case. Yeah, they are just asking to be painted. There's something about these minis that is just enticing you to paint them, more so than the original set. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, I love the map that came with this game. It actually engaged me more than the original scythe map. I just, <laughs> something about it was very immersive. The Images on the map were much larger and drew me right into the map locations better. And, and everything else in the box is top-notch. It comes in a, a really quality box, and there are molded trays to store your components. So there's a place for everything with lids and all. Yeah, everything is adorable. The meeples are brightly colored. The gems that you're trying to get all over the board are beautiful blue. The apples are bright red. I played this game with my kids who are 9, 9, and 12, and they were able to grasp the concepts within the game very easily, and they definitely enjoyed the friendship scale the most. I think kids in general just really tune in to the concept of friendship and what gets them friendship and what loses them friendship, right? So that scale goes up and down, and the higher you go, the closer you can get to a friendship trophy, earning one of the four trophies. How do more well, quest things I mean, get on this? Oh, you're waiting for Ed, I see. I'm going to gain three of these pies. One, or two, or three. I lose two friendship. <laughs> friendship isn't all that. So is all the friendship stuff, um, like, realistic friendship stuff? Like, that would help them learning lessons for real life? Yeah, like sharing. If you start a fight, you lose a friendship. But when you roll the dice... You generate resources. If you put resources in an opponent's space where they have a mini, you earn friendship. Yeah, the resources are the apples and the gems, which you place on the map. You can also do nice things for the other players when you play quest cards sometimes. And if you take that opportunity, you can go up on the friendship chart there as well. That's Another indeed. great quest. Who's the uh, fox over there? That's you, Ed? Yeah. Fox Ed. Yeah. Why not? Friends, I, need, I need to go up one. Yellow goes up on friendship. Yeah. Who's got nothing going on? Friends, French friends, French friends. Questopolis. And Apple on the blue. Spread the love. That's what I say. Next. Well, when you when you seek, you roll the dice and it'll tell you like, oh, you're gonna put the apple somewhere in the blue sector. So you have to put an apple anywhere in a blue second, and it's your choice whether to put it, if there's an opponent there, you can put it on your opponent. Or if you're there, you might want to put it in your own space, or put it somewhere where nobody is. That's right, and that's, and that's critical to it, because basically you're building friendship by avoiding uh, aggressive behavior and sharing. That's pretty cool. And it's kind of neat, as our apples are one of the resources, is how you make pies. 
Oh, the pies to violently throw at each other. Yeah. <laughs> well, that is one way to use them. Yes, you can do that. Uh, I like the fact that you can upgrade both your move and your make actions. Oh, you have to use a apple and a gem to upgrade one of your actions. Yes, and enhancing your move ability is a good thing. Uh, it gets you around the map a lot quicker as opposed to just the two spaces you're initially allowed to move. I love the idea of the pie catapult. <laughs> Well, I thought the one Celeste got was pretty good, where she was able to move goods two spaces instead of one. The upgrade cards are really good for your options. Um, so one of the ways to get trophies is to earn upgrades. And if you get an upgrade, it changes what your options are when it's your turn. So that's what they're talking about. You can add a catapult or add extra moves or something. It was kind of interesting. My nine-year-old son picked up the game and understood all the mechanics pretty quickly, but he's kind of a born gamer. Um, my nine-year-old daughter, it was interesting. She thought there were a, a few too many choices. She's like, there's too many options here, which was funny because it's exactly how I felt about Big Scythe. Yeah. <laughs> Adults who want to start trying this game uh, to play with their kids are going to find that even if you've played the adult side, the, the rules are very you know, they're very intuitive. I mean, the battles with, you know, with the pie fights, the mysterious factory is replaced with a friendly castle. Soldiers are replaced with cute animals. If you were an adult who has played and enjoyed Scythe before, you could pick this up almost instantly. That's a good point, Joe. I, I almost wanted to say that you might want to play this game first and then graduate to the regular <laughs> Scythe. <laughs> Lots of times I thought this game looked unbalanced. Uh, it was like, oh man, you know, it's so easy to get that trophy, almost impossible to get that one. But as I played on, it was actually pretty easy to attain all types of trophies. Especially since other people have an incentive to give you resources. Because they want to be your friend. Exactly. Yeah. Really <laughs> because, let's face it, it's really because they want that friendship trophy. Oh, yeah. yeah. Kids are <laughs> obsessed with trophies, believe me. It's a win-win. Yeah. Some adults are too. Yeah, true. The origins of the game are pretty cool. It started off as a fan-created print-and-play game. Um, and it actually was nominated and won uh, Board Game Geek Printing Play of the Year for 2017. Cool. That must have been fun for Jamie to see that happen, that the Scythe game caught so much enthusiasm that you have these fans out there just spontaneously making other versions of the game. Oh, it's like the highest form of flattery when the fans start picking up the baton. Okay, explorers, it's time to dig up or bury my little scythe. Joe? Not only did I enjoy this game, it gave me a much better feel for the adult version. There's trophies for those who accomplish any of the eight goals, and the first player to collect four of them wins. It's simple and fun. Dig it up. Evan? It's a brilliant idea to make a kid's version of the game scythe. There's enough here for both kids and adults to enjoy. Dig it up. Mike? Well, you guys seem to have fun with it, and I am dying to try it myself. But for now, I cannot pass any kind of judgment. Ed? This game is not only fun to play, it incorporates the base mechanics of Scythe, and it's super cute. <laughs> Dig this up and move on up the friendship track. <laughs> In the same way that Monopoly Jr. streamlines a lot of the granular issues with regular Monopoly, Little Scythe did the same for me uh, in regards to its big brother. Dig it up. Ed, where can you find it? My Little Scythe is available at local and online stores. Retail for about $50. If you have thoughts about My Little Scythe, let us know. We are at Which Game First on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. 
Our last game up this week is Spy Alley, designed by William Stevenson, published by Spy Alley Partners in 1992. Number of players, two to six, ages eight and up. Playtime, 40 minutes. Okay, when we put this find under the magnifying glass, what were our first thoughts? Mike? Well, already knowing everyone else is a spy really takes off some of the pressure. <laughs> Evan? Spying and spy games always seem to go hand in hand. After all, isn't the idea of spying a sort of game on its own? Ed? But if you know everybody's a spy, they can't be really good, can they? Joe? It's a pack of spies shadowing each other, trying to ferret out where everyone else's so-called loyalties lie. Hmm. I can do an accent, but it's going to have to be for a country that I'm not the spy for. Or maybe I can do my own country's accent as a double bluff. Okay, okay, I can figure something out. Oh, am I talking out loud? Shoot, that is one of the tips. I'm not supposed to do that. Darn. <laughs> spy 101. Uh, Evan, uh, tell us how this game of cat and mouse is played. <laughs> Damn, my French spy comrade. Spy Alley is a game of wits and deductive skills. Each player is an undercover spy in the service of their country. The spies move around the game board looking to collect or purchase items of the spy trade, such as passwords, disguises, code books, and keys. The trick is to keep your identity a secret as you pick up items. Each item you acquire gets marked with a peg on a tracking board for all the spies to see. The board consists of a column for each country's spy and a row for each of the four items needed. For example, if you are the French spy and you collect items and decide to place them all in the French spy's column, you run the risk of accusation. Throwing your fellow spies off the scent by pegging in columns of one of the other countries will help make your detection more difficult. At any time, a spy may, on their turn, accuse another spy of working for a specific country. If they are right, you are caught and you're out of the game. But beware, accuser, because if you make an accusation and it's wrong, then the accuser is the one who's out of the game. The first spy to successfully collect their four items and report back to their embassy is the top spy and the winner. Or if you are the last spy standing, then you win by default, which is just <laughs> as good. Yeah. If you're the accuser and you are wrong, do you actually reveal which spy you were? If you accuse and you're wrong, you are out of the game. You have to hand over all your money, all the items you've collected, and your spy identity to the person whom you accused. Yeah, it's ugly. Then that spy has the option of assuming your identity what? going forward or maintaining the one that they started the game with. Yes. So they could just make a skin suit out of you and start speaking Russian accent? And that's what I did. <laughs> well, no, they, they go through your, yeah, they go through all your IDs and stuff and throw your body in a trash compact. <laughs> <laughs> or a vat of acid. <laughs> they just stick their own picture in your ID or they just start dressing like you. I think about it, Mike, all of a sudden say, say I... I guess that Joe's a spy and I'm wrong. Then Joe <laughs> takes my card. And then what? Is he going to keep playing the one he started with? Is he going to assume my role? Nobody knows. Any information you've been tracking up to that point on that particular person may be moot. And yeah, <laughs> it, wow. throw, it throws your way off. It's very, very deceptive. Very tricky. Yeah. Who, <laughs> knows, who knows who you're really working for anyway? I mean, your handler now, could be working for any government. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it, it, and it's not like actual governments aren't constantly trying to poach 
the spies of the opposition. Oh, yeah. Double agents, triple agents. Left oh, yeah. and right. So the board was a standard sort of roll the dice and move kind of board. So I was a little bit worried about that because the other elements of this game were neat. They were really neat. So I was worried about a traditional board sort of getting in the way of, you know, good strategy. Um, But they have these move cards that mitigate it. So you pick up move cards as you go, and they have specific numbers on them, like two, three spaces, four spaces, etc. So if you really need to get to a certain space on the board, you can use a card instead of a die. It, it takes some of the, the randomness out. I mean, it's still basically a race game now. It is a race game, but there were so many psychological bits to this race game. It was delightful. It comes with a trifold brochure of tips on how to play the game. It's, it's stuff like pay attention if other players are thinking out loud. And I was like, oh boy, I'm finished. <laughs> or watch for people fumbling when they put their pegs into the peg holes. They might go for their own country first on their pegboard. So keep an eye on that. But then every one of those is like, but they could be doing it to misdirect you. It could be completely wrong. Oh, it sounds easy to psych yourself out in this one. Oh, I totally did it. I convinced <laughs> myself that Evan was the French spy. Absolutely <laughs> certain of, for no reason. <laughs> right, because I said I, one random thing at some point. She based her strategy against me on that. There's one place you can go on the board to free guess. Oh, without penalty? Yes. So I did it, and Evan's reaction there totally convinced me that he was the French spy. Good <laughs> <laughs> like spy moves, Evan. <laughs> yeah. So yeah. This, the head games in this completely messed me up. I accused him uh, without any protections at all and, and lost. <laughs> I was the American spy. I had to give him everything. And I had a nicely filled pegboard. Oh, you know, you did. I got a lot of goodies from you when you falsely accused me. Thank you for that. <laughs> and by the way, I did assume your identity going forward, <laughs> which played to my benefit. It seems like the twist on a typical race game is that you can end the game very quickly by just making a random guess if you need to. Like you can jump ahead that way, but it's risky. Well, you can end your game very quickly. <laughs> Everybody else can <laughs> yeah. go. If you're That's tired right. of playing, you can bow out pretty much any time. Yeah. If you're up against a hard exit, like like you gotta leave at seven or something. Then, yeah. <laughs> Just start guessing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, hey. my train's coming. Uh, you're French. You're Russian. <laughs> <laughs> I liked some of the choices on this board. Some of the choices on the board were specific, such as pay a dollar for the German password. And what was nice was you couldn't blame anybody for buying the German password uh, if they just happened to land on it randomly. Then you couldn't you couldn't assume that was part of their strategy. So it was there were there were great options for buying things throughout that covered your strategy. They were great covers for you. Like the free gift box. It's uh you just get a random item. Yeah, it's a great way to hope you get the item that you need for your own spy country. And it doesn't give away any info either. Right. But then there's these spots on the board where you can buy any country's spy item. And I liked that. I liked that in some places you could get your stuff without with a clean cover, and some places you had to spend a lot of money to cover. So how many players does accommodate? Because it seems like if there's only four players, you guess one right, and now you have a coin flip to win the game. It's two to six players. Two to six. There's two to six players, but 
there's always six countries in play. Oh, okay. That helps. That helps to spread it out. Yeah. Like if there's three players, if you guess somebody wrong, there's still like three or four other countries that person could be. Oh, okay. Right. And you always want to get at least three of something because now if you're getting something that you want, you want to get at least two other things because just in case somebody else had the other thing you have, they don't want to have all the information. Oh, they must be this. Yeah, I was covering with three countries. So I was buying stuff for four different countries a lot. Um, mm-hmm. I, I cut out two of the countries because I'm like, no, there's no way I can cover six countries. I don't have enough money. That was my strategy, which I think would have worked all the way to the end had I not gone insane and guessed Evan was the first <laughs> Had you not been so sure. It's just I can't handle the pressure of the spy job. <laughs> the free guessing thing there actually puts you at risk. Because if you're there can be a case where somebody gets a free guess and you're in the uh, the spy alley. Yeah. They get to just like, hey, oh, yeah, you're the Russian? Well, yes. <laughs> ah, you're out of the game. Yeah, so they can, you can get knocked out fast. I love how your major source of income while you're going around the board is selling your own country's secrets onto the black market. <laughs> yes, that is Yeah, so but it could good. be disinformation, you know. It's all, all sorts of things are for sale. Uh, who can tell? C'est la vie. Exactly. <laughs> do you trust me? Do you not trust me? This game can handle up to six, but I think it's best at four. <laughs> <laughs> what accent was that supposed to be? Oh, it's supposed. To, it was supposed to be Spanish, like Castilian. <laughs> <laughs> but it's uh, any higher than four players, it can be hard to keep track of who's pretending what. But maybe that's the point. Mm. And by the way, Joe can do a perfect Spanish accent. He just did a bad one to throw you off the track. Oh, got Ooh. it. All right, all right, totally. <laughs> yep. That should have been a tactic Ed used. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was thinking about maybe just buying all the stuff for a country I'm not and going up by alley, and then everybody would accuse me of the wrong thing. And be out. Oh, that's a great idea. <laughs> Your strategy is just to have everybody eliminate themselves. I love it. Well, you certainly would have eliminated me had I still been in the game because I was sweating and desperate the whole time. I love the fact that this game is published by Spy Alley Partners, LLP. I mean, that could be the CIA for all we know. (laughs) Really? This is actually a recruitment game? Right. (laughs) Joe Smith of Langley, Virginia, you know, right? Games. We have no idea. It wouldn't be the biggest waste of time the CIA had ever engaged in. Yeah, that's true. And they're never coming for me after my showing. Yeah, I don't think it's a good idea for this to be a recruitment tool if part of the game is selling your country's secrets off, though. (laughs) (laughs) This game is a brain buster. It's the winner of 12 different national awards, including Mensa Select. It It was the Australian Game of the Year. And it made the Chicago Tribune's list of top 10 games. For 1992? 92. Did you guys feel the theme in this one? Yes. Oh, my God. Did I not just tell you I almost lost my – I almost went crazy? Yes. I felt totally under the pressure of being a spy. Mike, the, the pamphlet for, for suggested strategies encourages LARPing. Oh, this game. that's amazing. Dressing up as spies, putting on fake mustaches and glasses and wigs and things. It Let's tells you it. to do this. How great is that? We should do it. We should do a, a one-off Spy Alley LARP at your house. Oh, we so could. <laughs> Although Celeste couldn't take the pressure. <laughs> at the end of the game, I really did feel like I had figured something out and unraveled a tricky mystery, but I'm still not exactly sure 
what train of logic I used to guess that Ed was the Russian spy. <laughs> I didn't. You got me guessing, <laughs> Joe. It was a brilliant guess if it was just a guess. I don't know. I think it's just gut instinct from all those spy novels you've read, Joe. Yeah, maybe it is. <laughs> yeah. Like Harriet the Spy. Harriet the Spy goes to Cleveland. <laughs> all those. Okay, explorers, <laughs> it's time to dig up or bury Spy Alley. Ed? Despite this being basically a race game that also had player elimination, the game is pretty decent. Well, it's not quite enough that I'd recommend it. So for me, I'll bury it. Joe? I don't know how much actual logic is really in here. I think there'd be a wide range of opinions about how replayable it is. I'm really on the fence about this one, but I'll err on the side of digging it up. Evan? Uh, this is a better version of a game like Clue. And although the game gets a little repetitive in its die-roll-then-move mechanic, there's enough intrigue and fun to play it again, I think. So dig it up. Mike? I'm a big fan of the deduction games, but I was on a secret mission when this one got played, so I have to refrain from judgment. Ooh, could I handle the pressure of playing this game again? <laughs> I have to say, I really want to try because uh, I was delighted with how immersed I was. Uh, so I'm definitely digging it up. Evan, where can you find this game? Copies are available online at most of your favorite places to buy board games. Both new and used versions are available ranging from $10 for used to $30 for new. If you have thoughts about Spy Alley, let us know. We would love to hear from you. We are at Which Game First on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. And that brings us to the end of our show. We look forward to hearing about all the game exploring you've done. If you'd like more perks and content from our show, including exclusive episodes and a weekly post-show episode, for just $3 a month, you can go to our website and click on Become a Supporter today. If you get a chance, leave us a rating or a review anywhere. It really helps others find the show. Join our chat on our Discord server. We are at Which Game First, and our Patreon supporters get access to exclusive channels. Happy gaming, explorers! I spy with my little eye. Arrest him! He's a spy! I don't have to listen to you. You're the Australian spy I ran into at the last Othello tournament. I don't know what you're talking about. I'm normal citizen. Look elsewhere. <laughs>